Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts and I'm here with Wynn Morgan. Hi, Wynn. Hello. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Although a momentary moment of uh, self-consciousness, because as you started, I was doing a very funny face. What do you so want? For those of you who do, do not watch on YouTube. <laughs> no, I don't care. <laughs> But if anyone watched on YouTube and wondering what I was doing, I was just stretching my eyes because they felt a little bit closed. So that's all that was. There you go. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't notice. I really didn't. Good. I really didn't. So I think we started a little bit differently today than we typically do. For those people listening, a lot of times we're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? And whatever's kind of fresh for either of us kind of seems to show up. But uh, I was asking you your opinion on some various topics that are kind of bouncing around in my in my mind this morning. And it led to a question that we thought might be worth exploring. But then we're like, well, that could be a rabbit hole. And so... I feel like you should do the disclaimer about the rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, it's at the edge of what I see, what we're going to talk about. Or another way of saying it could be, I could very easily get into an intellectual conversation with myself, yet alone with you about this. (laughs) Um, So that would be my initial disclaimer. We have no idea what we're going to say as we explore this, is another way of saying it. Yeah. How would you say the disclaimer? I think my disclaimer would sound a lot like that it could go either way. It could, like, bounce around in the intellect, as things sometimes do. But oftentimes with you and I, it may start there and then something new will kind of show up from a different space. Yeah. And so I'm hoping that's where the episode takes us. Cool. Yeah. As an aside, um, I wanted to share this. I met a few people in the last few weeks and as soon as they realized who I was, they went, oh, you're the guy who does that thing with that Kate lady <laughs> past, right? What? I love it. So totally unprovoked. And then one said, it goes really deep. Oh. Someone says, I really love it. Mm. And this other person said, I really enjoy it. And they were, they were okay, in the same room, but unprovoked by either either one of them, right? That was just like from passing and saying hello to people I'd never met before. 
So I'm pretty sure one of you knows who you are. I've never been the Kate lady before. The Kate lady. Well, (laughs) I'm the win guy. So we have names. This is so fun. Well, the Kate lady. I like it. I'm going to rock it for this episode. (laughs) The Kate lady was asking you about whether or not you thought we chose our thoughts. Like if there's like, oh, hey, I uh, have this thought. I see that it's thought and now I'm going to choose another thought because I guess in maybe coming from a space of wanting to feel better or. Yeah. Yeah. And if you thought that was even possible. And that's where we start. I can't remember that right now. It doesn't mean it's never happened. But I can't remember that occurring in my mind. Choosing, oh, I could choose this thought in order to feel better. I I can't remember that happening. Now, it doesn't mean it hasn't. But I also know somebody else who that is their experience, that they, they, they just see choice in what to think, and then they can change how they feel based on that. In a bigger picture sense, though, There are times when I can notice a choice and then I get to choose. So I don't mean necessarily choosing a thought, but, oh, I don't have to think that. Mm. And then it looks like I've got a choice of something. Like dropping it. Dropping it or picking up a different one or whatever it may may well be, but... I can't remember a time when, oh, and that will make me feel better. So here's how I described it, I think, before we started recording today, which was, I I think, well, your question was, do you think it's possible? I think it's possible to have choices, but I don't know if we always see the choices we have. So if I said it slightly differently, I think I've always got choices, but I don't always know it. You know, something's been showing up for me lately. I don't know if it's just some of the things I've watched or read, but I wonder if what we think is us making a choice is actually just our kind of like our minds, our intellect coming up with that story of how we chose after the fact. You know, I read lately about how um, that, you know, they did all these studies of, mm, uh, they literally severed the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And they did all these experiments about how, I think it's the left side of the brain, which is actually the, the part of our brain that comes up with our reasoning for things. So it couldn't possibly have known why, but it did it. And then immediately we'll come up with a story of what why they did it. So... I'm trying to think of an example, but 
So the, let's say the right, and I don't know this, I haven't read the book in a bit, so I'm probably completely wrong, but the right is responsible for written language, right? So if the two hemispheres are separate, I could slide something over to you that says, get up and start walking. I didn't say it. I, I passed it to you. And the right brain sees it, gets up and starts walking. And I could say, hey, when, why are you getting up? Where are you going? And immediately the left will come up with a story that sounds absolutely believable and reasonable. Like, oh, I'm getting something to drink. When the left side could not have seen that or known why it was getting up at all. And so there's a part of our brain that kind of creates a story that makes complete sense to us on why we do the things that we do. It's actually super fascinating. Mm. I don't really want my brain cut in half, but um, to read about it and those experiments is, is, it makes me wonder how much is choice and how much is our story of choice. Mm. Like how much is life living through us Mm. and our intellect comes up with our reasons why that's happening our stories around it of why it's happening let's see if i understood what you said (laughs) that we would post-rationalize it so quickly after either seeing the choice or making the choice that it was in fact always after the effect as a, after the choice as opposed to before it. Right. And it happens so quickly and it uses these yeah. tools to rationalize it that seem very, makes sense. I'm getting up to get some water. Yeah. So all we ever do is post-rationalize, never, never consider before according to what you read i don't don't know if if they went that far it was just in it was just in kind of showing how even if the right and left hemispheres of our brain aren't communicating at all the left will still come in to create a story of why we're doing it's like the reasoning part of things and not knowing at all it will still create a story Mm. that the left side of the brain would have no way of knowing that I just slid a piece of paper over to you that says, get up and start walking. And yet we'll still come up with the story Mm. of why you just got up. They did another experiment essentially where they passed over a piece of paper and the right side read laugh. And so they laughed and then the person doing, you know, the research says, well, why are you laughing? And the left side comes up with, oh, you and your, you know, your scientists with all your questions, like it immediately jumps into this story to explain the laughter, that that's why I'm laughing. Cause that's so funny. Mm-hmm. It's actually fascinating. And so in our choices that we think we're constantly making about how we're moving through life and what we're doing. I don't know. It just made me wonder, like, is that a choice? Are we choosing? I don't know. Yeah. 
And even if we did think we knew according to what you read, that wouldn't be true. That would also be post-rationalized, right? That we'd make up the reason. Immediately. Yeah. I remember reading, I think it might have been in my 20s or early 30s, quite a bit about left and right brain hemispheres. And at some point, it stopped being of any interest to me. And I can't remember why. <laughs> I can't remember why. Like why it wasn't interesting anymore? Yeah, I just thought, yeah, I don't buy it. Probably something like that. Knowing me, that would be something I might think and then think, yeah, okay. Because it was a little too... thought it was made up. I think I remember people talking in one one workshop that I was at as a as a delegate being trained about the brain. And a lot of are you left brain left hemisphere or right hemisphere dominant, etc. Mm, right. And it was about as as um accurate as horoscopes. <laughs> I've then probably just put it in the waste paper basket of my head to say, nah, it just felt like cold reading. It just felt like, oh, really, this is just, yeah, it didn't make any sense to me. So I quit kind of uh, looking into it. And then, But then there are parts of the brain that make an awful lot more sense to the amygdala, the frontal cortex that part and then neuroplasticity as opposed to wiring which doesn't exist I mean, people saying i'm hardwired for this said uh, uh no that isn't there's nothing in there that's hardwired people's opinions are absolutely up for grabs people's personalities are up for grabs people's view of themselves are up for grabs people's minds change and I was talking to someone who has studied um, neuroscience extensively and then went to interview all the best current thinkers in that field. And they all admitted, we don't really know. Hmm. We don't know how it works. We're just guessing. But I also re remember the whole, you know, the, the phrase that I just said, neuroplasticity being a, quite a new phrase a new word as in it's more like a, a soup up there as opposed to a defined regions of the of the brain but that doesn't mean that there is not a a a, a movement center which there there is whereas there is the short-term memory center was the long-term memory center whereas the the language center the cerebellum is a part of the brain, of course, that has a function. So there are these parts of the brain with a function. But then the regarding the, the things that you and I talk a lot about regarding thought, feelings, experience of life, experience of being alive. The bit that I keep coming back to is they've yet to find a place in the brain where a specific memory is kept. Or this is the place where sadness exists geographically in the brain. Mm -hmm. 
This is the location. Not that I know this is way beyond what I study and probably beyond what I'm capable of studying in my mind because it's just no, way over my head. The fact that they haven't found that, I don't know if it therefore exists. The whole plasticity as opposed to rigidity feels an awful lot more real to me. We know that our memory does not work in the same way as a computer where there is a file, and that's the file where that is kept. And then you delete that file and then it's gone. It works by various different things. The fact that a memory can be triggered by a smell. Mm. I remember vividly, I can't remember if I'd said it on one of our previous episodes in the past where for the first time in decades, I felt the, I, I, I smelt coal tar soap for the first time in decades. And I was instantly bar, back in bath time at my grandparents' house. And I could see the, the tiles next to the bath in the bathroom. And I'd forgotten the color and the seahorses that were on about one in four. <laughs> I'd forgotten everything about the inside of that bathroom until I smelled coal tar soap and it took mm -hmm. me back about 25 years. It's lovely. And it's an interesting kind of how our memory works in frames of reference as opposed to a direct kind of route, direct route. So I want to go back to the disclaimer. <laughs> this is definitely me knowing he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> you know, I can see my mind wanting to make sense of whether or not we can choose mm. our thoughts. That's really an option. You know, we've talked about on the show about thought being impersonal. Yeah. We've also talked about the difference between our personal thought and like capital T thought. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. It's, it's so easy to go down this rabbit hole of the intellect and wanting to know. But as you were talking, it occurred to me how much more interesting it is for me now than even, even a few years ago. Mm. Those moments when I'm moving, I'm, I'm doing, it looks like I'm choosing. but I have no idea why I'm doing it. Yeah. It feels without thought. It feels like peaceful, easy movement. Like the, just the thing I'm doing, the thing I'm saying. Without thought, without a definitive, this is what I'm choosing. And it's so easy and it's so mm, alive. 
And I have no idea where it came from or why I'm doing it. I just know I'm doing it. That seems to be even more interesting. Those moments in our lives, and they seem to be pivotal. Game changers. Can you think of an example that you're willing to share? Sure. When I was younger, in my 20s, I had already started teaching high school. I had my own place, and I was all very adult. And, uh, and it was in my second year of teaching and you know your first is such a it's very challenging and the school where i was teaching was a inner kind of an inner city school and i was so bad at it right my first year but then my second year i settled in and i and i had fun like i enjoyed the kids and i enjoyed the job and and I knew I was gonna be good at it one day. And I enjoyed it. And then all of a sudden, I was having a conversation with a girlfriend and just decided that I was gonna move to Spain. No reason. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never really traveled a lot. You know, like not like that. And uh, I don't know any other languages. And Spain always kind of seemed, you know, like a fun place I'd like to see. And that was it. I ended up working three jobs to save up money. I sold my car. I quit my job. I uh, packed up all my stuff and I moved. And every decision that I made, right? Moved in that direction and, and I saved up enough and it was easy and I didn't question it, even though everybody was like, what are you doing? You just got this, you know, you just got settled and finished college and you love your job. And it, it went against everything that I was doing. And I loved doing it. Like I love my place and I love my job and the people I work with. It rationally made no sense. But for me, that, that was some kind of step. And I didn't see this until later. But I got a chance to experience myself outside of my family and friends who I thought I was. And it opened up this unknown place for me. And I had so much created around this idea of me as the um, kind of like a foundation for my family that person that people went to to 
to to talk to to support them and all of a sudden I'm in Spain and they can't do that and I can't be that person anymore and I got to experience myself completely new and it changed everything for me it was almost like I got to kind of leave Kate behind for a little bit and see what showed up on the other side. But I had to physically move out of the country <laughs> to get that space. Well, in my mind. Yeah. It, yeah. And that was a decision that it looked like you had no choice, just had to follow it. Like it, it was done before I even said it. That's what right. it felt. Right. Wow. Yeah. Before I even had the conversation, it was already done. And then I got to put uh, the story around it, like, oh, I can travel and learn another language. And, and I got so much benefit from that time. But I can't say it made any sense when yeah. I actually did it. Yeah. That's a great example. No, I can think of well, at least two occasions where that's happened for me as well. Not about Spain. Um, but <laughs> other things in my life where it was, oh, I'm doing this now. And yeah. I had no idea that that's how it would go beforehand. And it was just, I don't know. There was a knowing or a voice that's different from my intellect that just, I don't know, couldn't help but be followed. Some people would call that wisdom. Some people would call that, I've heard people call that the voice of God. I heard somebody, a client today, say that was the voice of God for them. Mm -hmm. And I can absolutely relate to that. And here's the other thing that I know has changed over time for me is that I've begun to realize that I don't have to act on every thought I have. Now, that one, where that one comes from, it feels different. But the voice in my head, right, my analytical computer brain, my intellect. I heard a story from a, from a dear friend who has been our guest on here before, Linda Pransky, and her talking about ice cream. And she would have urges for ice cream in the evening and then would go out and buy some. I can relate to that too. <laughs> Quite a lot this summer when it was really hot. I had my, my glass of bourbon or scotch and, oh, I want something sweet at the same time. I know there's an app for that. I'll get some delivered. It'll be here in 20 minutes. Awesome. Far too much of that, right? In my mind, as delicious as I still think it is. But to also know I don't have to act on every urge or every thought like that or every craving because it's thought. It doesn't, it's no different in itself then. Um, what will the weather be on Friday? No different from that. Or what's for dinner tomorrow? Or I wonder what she's thinking now. No different from that in its nature. 
and how it's made, it's the feeling of it is different. But in its nature, it's identical. And it, what, what amazes me is that, let's say a client comes to me and they have, um, let's make something up, not actually made up, anger issues, right? So their, their boss sent them to me because, hey, this person needs to start behaving better at work. What's up? What they got anger issues. So I explore that with them and talk with the then the client and they say, Yeah, I'd like to change how I how I uh, how I behave at work towards other people. And it's interesting that we can all well, most people I've talked to can can imagine a time or remember a time remember a time where they didn't act on an angry thought or had the feeling of something and then didn't give into it. Didn't chase ev anyone, didn't chase everyone who cut them up on the road. Didn't, uh, didn't punch everyone they felt they wanted to. Well, that's choice but it only occurs to us in the moment. And sometimes it doesn't look like choice, but it's like, wait a minute. At some point, I do not act on every thought and every feeling I've had. So I do have a say. But sometimes it doesn't look like I do. Sometimes they're, they're, they're big thoughts that have a feeling that I can't see in the moment and then I will press the 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 little things on the screen of my phone and order another salted caramel ice cream or someone will follow someone on the road because they cut them up due to anger but a lot of the time we don't and that to me it's really helpful to know that we don't follow every feeling we have because then we've got this relationship that's possible to have with thought and feelings, which means that we don't have to act on all of them, knowing that they go, knowing that in their nature, they don't mean anything more than, so thought A doesn't mean anything different from thought B other than the fact it's got a different feeling to it. And if it's an urge, then all it is, it's just got a, a bigger feeling to it. And yet still, it's made of the same thing. A creative energy that's just taken form in that moment in our mind, called thought. I love the notion of I'm not in control, but I can have some say. Mm. When I see it, which is not always. What do, you, what do you attribute to the times when you see that and the times when you don't? My initial answer was going to be my state of mind mm. at that time. But that was, but it was too quick in my head. So I know that that feels like an old answer or an answer I've heard somebody else say that made sense to me once. 
So I'm going to think about it a little more. My relationship with that feeling in the moment, I think. Now, you might say that also could be down to state of mind. That could be the differentiator. Yeah, it might well be. Your relationship with the feeling of it? Yeah. Same so does the, is the feeling all-encompassing? Does it feel like I've got no say in it? Or does it look like it's got, and does it look like it's got a hold on me? Or am I at least a little bit suspicious? Mm -hmm. Or I just already automatically know this feeling, I don't have to follow that. But that's still not the answer to the question you asked. Until I've got a better one, I'm going to go back to state of mind, given what I just said. Still looks to be accurate to me, or my mood. My mood in the moment would be another way of saying it similarly, not absolutely. Or even, I'd say it more accurately to me anyway, my relationship with my state of mind, my relationship to my mood in the moment. So if I see, oh, wait, this looks real, and it looks like I have to follow this because of my mood or because of my state of mind, this is like I'm now, I'm seeing it, I've got perspective over me. Oh, this is right. Oh, okay. This is the wind pattern. This is what happens inside me when I'm feeling low. Of course it looks more real. Of course it looks like I have no choice. Of course I have to give in to this feeling. Now, none of those things are true, but in the moment, I don't know that. Uh, back to my disclaimer, rabbit hole. I noticed I got really heady in that last half a second, and I went, okay, I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. What are you hearing, if anything, from, from this? Because I'm hearing a lot from <clears throat> There's a space, there's a space between the thought and believing the thought that I didn't know existed five years ago. <laughs> and I can't tell you how different I am because of that space. Like knowing that it's possible even when I really can't feel it at all sometimes has gotten me through some very seemingly dark moments. And I feel such deep gratitude for that space, even when I don't feel the, like I can't feel it in certain moments, but I sit here with you in such a space of gratitude for knowing that it exists. 
And that is not a small thing. You know, talk about game changers. Thank you, Kate. Thanks. Thanks, man. You know, there's something I want to say as we wrap this up, this episode. I think it's very easy for anyone listening to this, so to you listening to this right now, to get really heady about it and get really rational and and get into your head about it, you know, what's the right and wrong about what we've been saying and the right and wrong of what other people say and the right and wrong of what you think. If you enjoy it, go for it. And yet, the part of me that gets more from any of these conversations is the feeling of it. So what you, Kate, just shared it was the feeling of what you've said that is what I notice really matters to me and it does it feel lighter more hopeful more enjoyable and if it does I think that means I think that means closer to truth and if it gets more heady and it gets us feeling uncomfortable and it gets us caught up and sped up, I think that's a signal that in that moment, what I do is overthink it. And I know while I'm prone to do it for the rest of my life, that ain't the most fun experience I have <laughs> in this existence. And I prefer to have more fun, not less of it. More enriching experiences, not more thought-creating angst. I'm not saying that all thoughts are angst-creating, but the other thing I want to reflect back on on this, and one thing that I notice in this conversation, how little I know, and how absolutely fine that is, and if the only thing I remember from this conversation is the feeling of inquiry and the feeling of pondering compared to the feeling of overthinking and trying to really figure everything out, then fine by me. Remain curious without it being a burden. Because that's the space that you were talking about. So thanks for the reminder. You've been listening to this week's episode of Under the Noise with the amazing Kate Roberts and me, Wynne Morgan. If you've got any questions, comments about this episode or, or suggestions for future episodes or guests that you'd love us to talk to, and that might even be you, then please let us know. Our contact details are on the outro and written out wherever you found this podcast. And we'll speak to you again very soon. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at katerobertscoaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.